You're listening to The Bunker New York, live on Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick, and today my special guest is Regis, who's going to be playing us a bunch of upcoming music from Downwards and other labels that he runs, and then join us for a chat, and I'm going to play for the second half of the show. But right now we're going to turn it over to Regis. You're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. I don't know if you can hear me. I I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know if you can hear me.
means of transmission no longer exist and my image can't be projected anymore. I hope to be before you as a ghost, even though I don't believe in death. I don't believe in death since it is merely one form of life. It's quite clear that we're living according to conventional norms like the calendar or the watch. likely that we have misled ourselves, and perhaps you are still misleading yourselves. It's possible that what we call progress could prove to be the development of an error.
is not simply refusing the Legion of Honor. Even more, you must be undeserving of it. I hope that all this nonsense, these symbols, frills, and fallacies, have disappeared from art, and that now you are a serious and attentive young generation. Thank you. 
Hello, you're listening to The Bunker New York. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick. We've just heard a bunch of music that Regis brought in to play for us. Thanks for coming by. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And um, I don't know, maybe we should talk about some of the music you played. I know this last track was from our friend and the guy who does all the graphic design for The Bunker, Ken Meyer. That's right, Ken Meyer, brother of Carl Meyer. Yep. So we've got, we've got both of them on the label now. And that was a... Yeah, that's for... It's one of the tracks on the forthcoming Downwards compilation. And uh, yeah, it's a really great one. I haven't heard that. I mean, it was kind of weird, actually. I have a lot of the tracks I played tonight, uh, today. It was it's quite interesting to hear them out all in a row. I don't really get a chance to uh, listen to the stuff, really, you know? Yeah. But once I've said, yeah, that's good, you know, when we've gone to press. So I know a few of the tracks you played, you mentioned that it's from a compilation. What is the compilation? What's that all about? <laughs> It's just yeah, a comp- where where we're at in 2019 as a label, you know, it's a lot of a uh, disparate bunch of group of people I've worked with. Yeah, you know, Mick Harris and uh, who else on there? Yeah, Oliver Hose on there and under a different guys and uh, my di- uh, no my disc going on there, but Devar Damas and people like that. Yeah, just a lot of artists I'm st- I'm still working with and people who still speak to me, <laughs> <laughs> which is the numbers are dwindling. Um, so you've been doing Downwards for how long? I mean, you've got to be one of the longest running labels in electronic music, I would think. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you say electronic, yeah, well, not in, well, in dance music. I mean, I think when people sort of say electronic music these days, they mean dance music, but yeah, you know. Well, what's been around long? I mean, it's been Electro- 25 years or something? Yeah. Well, in electronic music, I suppose you've got real electronic, I don't know, like Mute Records, they've been around since 78, I'm not necessarily electronic label, you know you know what I mean, when people speak about electronic music, they mean dance music these days, whereas that wasn't the case, certainly, when I started listening to right. music. Well, you've been around a long time, yeah, 20, than to answer your question, 26 years, yeah, yeah releasing records. And do you have, this is kind of a cheesy question, but do you have any advice for people starting labels or just starting labels? Or like how you've kept this longevity and interest in the work that you're doing? I think it's always, you have to sort of form it in your own image. I think if you look at any of the any of the great labels historically, it doesn't even have to be dance music. They're kind of, they're formed in the image of the people who run them. You know, whether it be charismatic people like, I don't know, Tony Wilson or Ivo Watts from 4AD and, you know, Tony Wilson from Factory or Daniel Miller like from Mute Records. A, I think they have to be in the, the image of the people and you have to curate curate it as such even though I hate that word but you know it's all about you know, but you know it's, it's and, and that's it I think you have to come to it fully formed as well with all your influences in place and and that's all you can do you know I don't I, I mean other than that I wouldn't, I'm the last person to give anybody advice <laughs> on anything to be honest but that'd be it I think that'd be it really it's quite straightforward yeah it should be obvious I think it's obvious I don't think you know you wouldn't need advice it'd be obvious you know yeah I think it just works for some people and others. Yeah. And it's really difficult. Yeah. It's also as well, I think it's about, it, the best thing is if you have a group of people around you you can work with, it's very difficult to do things on your own in isolation, even though that's a very romantic I- idea to be able to do that. It's always good to have a group of people. You know? Right. Well, when was the, I mean, just in terms of, and this probably has less to do with the label and more with just the record industry in general, but when was the time in those 26 years where you were like peaking in terms of how many records you could sell? Well, well, the thing is that we were quite lucky because it happened really quickly. Um, uh, and we were just, uh, it was just, just 
from the back, at the back, you know, it was just, uh, it was viable to do records. It was just insane. We could press up lots of copies of records and then all of a sudden, three months later, you had EMI, EMI phoning you up, sort of asking you how you're selling that many records and who's our PR person. And we we just laughed at them. Well, I laughed at them down the phone. I said, well, you just make good records, don't you? And it sells. And that was the great thing. It was just, we could, yeah, it was just, it, the units are just, mind-boggling now really to be honest how much yeah you know you can... i mean i've only been doing my label for five years and i hear these numbers from yeah the 90s and yeah. the, even the o's and yeah it's, it's mind-boggling to me that you could well especially when you i think i think the thing is when one of these one of these major labels actually sort of cottoned on to it and they were listening to it and they they listened to a few of our records especially on downwards and they were just shocked how, how are you selling how are you selling this you know, because it's DIY, you know, bedroom music. But of course, they they were from a pr another generation that really didn't understand it, and it was very, you know. Yeah, and so you've had you've had the same distribution the whole time, or no? I oh, know we changed it quite a lot, really. I mean, we started off with a actually uh, plastic head distribution, which were like a, essentially a me heavy metal distributor. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they they were, uh, and the guy who actually sort of gave us our first chance was a guy who who was in the band Discharge, this sort of punk band Discharge as well. He gave us our first chance, and he sort of distributed us, and then, yeah, so it was pretty amazing. But that's what it was then. There was no real sort of specific dance distributors. There were a few, maybe in Germany, there's a great one called Neuton years ago. Yeah, I remember and, that. And they were probably the first one. I mean, Germany were the first people to really turn it into an in industry. I mean, the States had, like, great ones like Watts and stuff like that, but they were from... That was a completely there. Yeah, that's a completely different type of thing, really, you know. But they they just carried dance music. It was just yeah, like, and they all fell. Everybody falls eventually, because they probably had just too much of a good time. In fact, I know they had too much of a good time. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, vinyl, especially now, vinyl distribution just seems like. Well, we're both in the business of trying to have a record label, which is also ridiculous now. But yeah, being a record distributor just seems. Like an insane proposition. Yeah, to me. It's, it's it's weird because the transition from being what we knew the industry to be to being what it is now, even though it looks the same, it's called the same thing. It's a completely different way of, you know, and and, that, and that's the problem you see. You know, it's just a completely different. It's a different animal altogether. So that, so that's it. And you know, so what can you know? That's it. We'll see how it all goes. Really, I think people are still interested in music. Yeah, for sure. Know, generally, but it's just the way they, they they want it and the way they process. You know. And whether people want to just buy vinyl for our, you know, sort of. I mean, I, I me, me personally, I don't buy as much vinyl as you know as I used to. I just haven't got the room for it, you know. And it's just like, I don't. It doesn't mean as much in my life as it did then. Yeah, you same. Know, you know, so that was it really. Then it was just very important to me. That was just to do. Well, the, it used to be that there was so much stuff, especially in techno, where that's just that yeah. was. I mean, when I started DJing, that was the only way. Well, there was always a lot. You're right. The yeah, there's lots of always been lots of records released all the time. There's a, I think there's just no. Well, there's more now in the digital age being released, but there was always a lot being released, really. But you were, yeah, it just seemed more magic though then, really, to be honest. Also, things production and everything was different. You know, it, it, things were different. If you play a lot of old records, it was meant to be played on that format. And it's you know maybe now. You know, because we edit things to death as well in production when we produce things, and it's just different. You know, maybe. Yeah. Because I just felt back then why I got really interested in it back then it was just because we, I felt we we're on the cusp of something genuinely interesting with experimental. It was it was completely brand new. You know, there was no reference point for anything that had gone before before with it. So anyway, we felt that it was kind of 
very new and then you could obviously with that you can push it to wherever you want to push it then because there's no rules you know and that was good yeah and it was unfolding by the week then as well so that was kind of interesting do you feel it's still like that in a way that there's no rules or do you think well i, I don't really sort of tend to i mean i can only sort of speak for myself and what i do and i just sort of, i think i'm still on the same trajectory yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, whatever. No, I agree. You know. But you're, speaking of distribution, your your label's not uh, vinyl only anymore, right? Do you, or um, do you do digital? Do yeah, you do no, streaming? Do you do all these? Because um, I think that's an interesting part of the... Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I've never been against any of that. I've always been sort of, I mean, I've been into sort of, even back when CDs weren't very sort of popular in dance music I, you know I did them I thought it was kind of good to get your music out to as many people as possible really you know I've never been but yeah no I do all digital and stuff like that yeah it's not vinyl only I mean yeah well there's a lot of people that still do that I wasn't yeah no 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 I was, I was just I was having to think no 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 I, know, I can imagine but yeah to have that as a selling point so I'm not too sure what's, what is the point of having that as a point if you know what I mean, I mean yeah great vinyl only great I don't completely understand it. And it seems like most of the people after the vinyl only stuff are more looking for the rips than the well, actual yeah, well, record. Cause well, that's how people are DJing now. Yeah. For the by and large. Well, that's what well, I think you're completely right. Yeah. And it's just people you, you buy it and then you file it at home and then you become like a collector of what are you a collector of? I don't know. Really. I've never been a collector. So I don't, I don't know. You know, I've never really, especially that's the great thing about dance music or techno is because it was very instant and very, uh, the shelf life seem to be sort of very sort of you know you had a three-week window and i love that even though a lot of records now from that period are really sort of considered classics yeah i love i love that it was very now and uh, you know and you could throw away almost but it's utilitarian and it worked in a, in a really different way that music had worked up until that stage it was all that was what dance music was it was breaking the dna of traditional rock and roll and that was great you know the way that we we listen to music and uh yeah it was just utilitarian and we could use it in a different way and that's what i liked Initially, that's what I thought was great about it because it was it did completely broke all the rules of, that happened before. Right, and it was very instant. Music. You just put this record out, and people were excited about it for a few weeks, and then they had yeah and more just, record. It's it's interesting to me thinking about this now that the vinyl I don't want to say disposable, but it was like that for DJs where they were getting new yeah. records every week. Well, that's what it was and now, yeah. and spending so much money, and now people just yeah, well, they get everything digitally, and they can get a lot more for yeah. the same amount of money. Well, that's and it, it becomes maybe arguably even more disposable now. I think it probably is. I mean, I think it was a back, well, as you know, you know, in a, in a label to sort of actually put your own money down and put your money where your mouth is actually releasing product. That's a statement, you know, to sort of. So that's what it was back then. People, you know, you had all these hopes and dreams of putting a record out and work for some people, other people it didn't really. I'm not too sure there's that much uh, sacrifice made these days in releasing something digitally, but that's just the way it is, you know, it's the way everything moves on and that's it you know you can't lament about yeah what happened that you know it's just a new process new process of what the way we are now yeah um we were talking about this a little bit off mic i was curious how often you get to play a set maybe i mean the set you played on the show here and right now we're listening in the background by the way to the bunker podcast you made i think a couple years ago yeah it was all not techno yeah um, I'm wondering if you enjoy that more and how often you get to do something that's not showing up to a club or festival and playing like a primetime kind of banging techno set. Well, I mean, I lo obviously I love doing that and I, I really love 
playing the start of the night from the beginning when people come in because I, I, I feel very comfortable with that because maybe I still get very anxious and nervous about DJing in general or even performing about stuff and I think that's the way that maybe you should be as an art you know as a sort of artist in any sort of way you should have that but I get I get a lot more comfortable from doing if this um, these sets that you mentioned from early on I get you know it happens quite a lot actually to be honest you know, but you have to sort of state, look, I want to do this and I want to do it this way. I mean, obviously it always ends up in a punch-up rave, you know. Yeah. In the end, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you get to do a lot of, uh, or have you done downward showcases where you get to bring the whole crew? Yeah, we do, actually. And they're, they're good. I, I kind of enjoy that. I mean, I never sort of really, I mean, because in the beginning it was only really me and Tony, Surgeon. And uh, we did that for so many years because that that was pretty much it. That was that was that was just me and him. Because most a lot of the early releases were t Tony. Yeah, it's pretty and much. You. Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> it. Well, that was the thing. You see, we had to all of a sudden we released Tony's record, and then it, we were catapulted into this thing. And then because my, my idea wasn't, I never really wanted to actually release records. It wasn't my idea to sort of actually be produce stuff or be you know. My idea solely was to be like the head of a label because I kind of like that idea and then all of a sudden we had a bit of this success and stuff and I thought oh god well, maybe we need to release other stuff because Tony can't become this one man release schedule so I I found some things that I did on DAT previously to that which was the first Regis record and then all of a sudden I became this art you know I became Regis you know wow so you weren't you had music that you had done when you started the label but yeah you didn't plan on releasing that well, I don't really, you know, had no real clue about how to how how it would be released or what why it would be released. It didn't make sense at that point. That, but then, it, it's almost we had to invent our own scene, invent a load of friends, really, that we didn't have. It was only me and Tony. Yeah. Well, in those early days, were you were you throw were you involved in throwing parties at all? No, in, God, no. that's a completely different animal. <laughs> Who do that? Who the hell would be a promoter? I wouldn't be a promoter. That's stuff, yeah. No, I, I don't love the scene that much, to be honest. I, it's all right. I like getting in and out, you know. <laughs> so you were you were in detective. Like, why did you start making the music? Like, were you going out? Were you? Well, not yeah, not really. Actually, to be, I never. The thing is, people just collecting records. What, not, like, not, what not, was your? How did you get into it? Well, to be honest, I just I saw it as a vehicle for me to make instrumental electronic music. And I thought, you know, it never really clicked with me. The early stuff never really clicked with me because um, coming from Birmingham as well and um, Neil Rushton who put out all those early techno compilations from Detroit, I think he was he was all of the... I think he was Kevin Saunderson's Derek May's manager at the time and he was from... He did the Birmingham label network. And I didn't really... I, was, I didn't really connect to those, those tracks, all that stuff at the time. You know, it was all almost. It was very soulful for me, and it wasn't really where I was at personally then. So I didn't really understand techno until maybe I heard the first Underground Resistance records, and then because I couldn't place them, I didn't know where they came from. I didn't understand. You know, it was not. I didn't. Nothing I could identify other than I loved what I was hearing, and it was just extremely abrasive. But it was also. But it wasn't as much as. It wasn't like EBM. It wasn't isolationist. It was very. You know, it had the dance thing, and I, I was very. I found that very interesting. And then all of a sudden, it was a revelation for me. I could sort of, I could see a way of way into something, you know. Yeah. And that's why it wasn't that I loved techno at all, you know. It was not, you know, far from it. I didn't really understand it, you know. Right. So how did you, how did you and Tony meet and decide to put his music out? 
Um, we had a mutual friend in Birmingham, a friend, a good friend of mine, uh, Mick Harris. Who's, oh, yeah. yeah Mick was the music you played yeah, earlier. Yeah, Mick played one of the fret tracks earlier from Mick. And uh, he used to be the drummer in Napalm Death. And he really, he was like a local, obviously a local, well, more than a local hero, but he was a real great, good friend of mine. But he was a real, he really liked to put people together and he gave people a chance. He had a home studio in his, uh, in his downstairs toilet. I mean, this is like probably alien to you, but like in the UK, we used to have outside outside toilets years ago. I mean, I mean, you're looking at me in horror. This is like, you know, basically this was converted outside toilet. So this was his downstairs toilet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he had a little studio. And then he sort of, he said, oh, I'm dem- demoing um, this guy from who's DJ at the House of God. And you should listen to it. And I heard Tony's first record. And I thought, yeah, this is amazing. It kind of, like I said it before, and I... I want to phrase this in the right way. It kind of smelt. It, it, it seemed like something successful was happening with it, and that's kind of the best way I can put. It. That's why I wanted to be involved with it. Right. I know that doesn't. That sounds very businesslike, but that's. It, it filled me with something very exciting, and that's what I. You know. That was yeah. it. And it's at what point did you guys form the British Murder Boys together? I think it was like about ninety nine, two thousand. Right. And then there was a long break, and then recently you've been yeah working together again. Yeah. We, we we yeah we did we 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 gave it yeah give it another go, why not? It was yeah. good. And everyone forgot about it, and then they sort of you know that's it. Who this? Yeah, I think that was when you when we were talking about earlier when you came over to my house with the kid, and you I think that was to bring me the that's right British Murder Boys. That's right. My gosh, <laughs> you don't get that anymore. Straight to the door. Yeah, yeah. We used Look to at be you. we used to be neighbors. We did. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, <laughs> What, I wanted to talk a little bit about your history. It's I feel like it's been a while since we had you at the bunker, but you played some of the, I felt like were some of the seminal parties of like the public assembly era, yeah. which was roughly like 2008 to 2013. Yeah. Um, the one that really stands out to me is when you and Dave function played with Ben Clock in 2009. Oh my God. Yeah. That was, a, that was really good. Yeah, that was really good. That was like a good really... job. Well done. <laughs> that was a special yeah. uh, era for techno in New York. And I guess maybe just your perspective on, I mean, you've been at it for a long time before then, but kind of where things were then and where this has led, because at least in my mind, that era where people started getting excited about Oscar and Sandwell District, it kind of signaled this shift away from minimal in techno and more towards yeah maybe where you were originally coming from but like this nice fusion of the two things in a way no i think it did i think there was many years that it was almost techno was a dirty word you know it wasn't something in, and it was almost as if the past had been erased completely and forgotten you know it wasn't talked about you know you wouldn't and it was and i felt well that's a shame because it was almost like a it was abandoned yeah you know, and like mid two thousands. Yeah, early two thousands, mid two thousands, because nobody talked talked about it really. And then, uh, yeah, it's just like anything though. You know, if you keep at it, you know, and just uh, reform and regroup and really think about what you can do new. Because maybe that maybe it needed to finish. Maybe people weren't speaking about it because it reached some natural conclusion at that particular time, which I think it probably had. And that's why um, certain things that came after that, the nineties techno thing, was so successful because. Uh, you know, uh, because things had come to a natural conclusion with techno. You know, this wall, yeah. of, this wall of sound that you know people that was happening at the end of the nineties. I felt know. like something shifted in the late nineties, early two thousands when people were just 
like the Jeff Mills purpose maker, really hard style of loopy techno as that got yeah. became more and more the thing. I think it isolated a lot of people in a way. Yeah. And they were ready for something different. Um, well, that's the way it should but be. But now it's, yeah. I think it's interesting that we've, it feels like it's kind of come back around. It's come full back. circle where everybody's playing faster and faster again. And yeah, I mean, like, it'll probably, it, 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 you know, inevitably it's going to change again, you know, and that's what's going to happen again. And just, uh, that's the way it should be. Yeah. So what, be. what were things, were you, did you see less interest in your work during this period? Because obviously you weren't making uh, well, minimal know, techno. Yeah. These are bangers. Well, you know, I mean, the thing about myself is, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I don't really keep up with stuff the way that I should. And maybe I should have paid a lot more attention than I did. I didn't really know what was going on. I mean, I just heard about this stuff that was happening. Oh, that seems quite good. But it was so far away from anything that I was doing. I didn't really, yeah, no, so not, no, I didn't really notice it broadly. I mean, maybe if looking back on it, I should have, I don't know, I should have thought about it a bit more, but I didn't really. I, I mean, I can only go about applying my own sound in a way that anybody with half a brain would do, and that's all, all I've ever done, really. I've never really been market-driven, which is all right to say that, because you should be, in a way, you should have your eye on the ball, really, with stuff, because that's important, but sometimes I don't really, you know. Well, I think the most important thing is just... Being yourself and doing I think, what I mean, you care is, about and not there's well, there's too many people trying to be yeah. marketable and I think yeah, I th it leads think to a lot of really terrible music and art. Yeah, I think it, I mean it's, it's all right for people like me to say, well, you know, I've got no, you know, pay attention to it. It's all right for me, but I think, I, like I said, I mean, I've always pretty much known what I wanted to do really, and I haven't really deviated from from that. I've just been honing down my sound. Yeah. from day one really so that's kind of easy because I can't do it I mean I can't make music like that you know whatever it is I can't make music that way I'm not that type of person I haven't got either the technical skills or anything to sort of make music sound that way so I just have to do what I could do you know yeah you know for better or worse usually for worse but even, uh -huh. yeah <laughs> but then it, even then it's okay yeah See, I mean it's worked that's exactly you're still here got away with it you're still getting, playing getting away with it getting yeah. away with getting away with it yeah um, I wanted to talk briefly, if you if you're down to about uh, parenthood, you became a parent like five years ago. Yeah, and just curious what like how that's changed things for you, your approach to art and touring and just everything. That's very sweet of you to ask, Brian. Yeah, you, you've got no. Who cares? You don't care about it. No one, no one in the studio cares about parents. <laughs> Well, we have this rule, actually, sort of thing. <laughs> Never speak about your own kids longer than sort of like one minute, because then you sort of, then you have to sort of cut each other off because then it gets really boring speaking yeah. about your wanna own. Want to see kids. some pictures? Yeah, you want to see some pictures? That's so, it. I don't. Know, I think it's just it's yeah. I, it's like we were talking about earlier. Think, well, do you need a permit for this? Surely this should be against the law. Me being in a playground and stuff like that, and then you know, and these type of things. <laughs> then then you get in all these situations, are very adult situations. Because I'm I've been blissfully away from all of that all my life being having to be an adult or grown up or talk to people on a, on a normal level and, yeah, and that's, that's, that's the only thing that's happened in the last few years I've had to sort of speak to normal people that's all that's a lot of people in techno it's like you know, the Peter Pan syndrome of just you yeah. never really it's like wow people are still yeah. paying me to go out and play records it's crazy it's, yeah but then you have to sort of come down to earth and speak to like teachers and other parents and stuff you think oh god I don't know how to. and then people ask you especially in New York because everyone's doing something really good and they just ask well what, well, what do you do and I, sort of, I just tell everybody I'm, I'm unemployed I'm on the dole and then they sort of like edge away from you and that's all right 
So it's just like no one, so talk, no un- one talks to me. Telling anymore. them you're unemployed is better than saying you're a musician. Oh God, can you imagine? I'm a, I'm a musician, man. What are you, sound architect? <laughs> yeah, a sound designer. That's it. Or a DJ. Yeah. Um, uh, so before we go, I wanted to mention you're playing um, next weekend at the Trezor Party in Detroit on Saturday at Tangent. Which uh-huh. is, uh, interdimensional Dren- Transmissions is producing that party. And also with Mark Ernestus, Claude Young, Dan Bell, Orfix, Wade Garashi, Marcellus Pittman, and Bill Converse. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I didn't know that. It was a lineup. line up. Good to see, <laughs> always good to see Claude and Dan and, you know. Yeah, Mark, yeah, it's it. always it's all. I think that's this is maybe the third or fourth year of that them doing that party on that night in Detroit. It's always okay. a really good one. It's good. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, I like I, I like everybody involved with Trezor. I mean, I know it went out of ultimate popularity for a while, but I like it. It's really good. I like it. I still like the music they put out. I still I, yeah, I really. like the club. I like a lot it. of people. Yeah, I, I I think it's great. I think it's really good. I think it, yeah, I mean, because of my. Yeah, I still enjoy. I still love it. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking, I mean, like sticking to your guns. That's just they've always done that. They've yeah, never. They, really they don't have. really compromise or no, necessarily no. do what they think is really popular in the moment. They no, just exactly. have this vision that they've stuck to for a really long time. Yeah. Um, any other anything? Anything else you want to say about any of the music you played or upcoming uh, releases? It's or a, it's just all great. Like, it's all great. It's all coming out. It's all. Yeah, buy it. And, any format yeah oh and as the as the final question i, I warned you i was going to ask you this your your favorite animal and why my favorite animal is a cod 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 yeah <laughs> because simon <laughs> simon shreve on downwards records is is one of the tracks on cub he actually owns his own chip shop so we like a proper one that you can sit down in so that's the reason i signed him because i've never known anybody who owns his own chip shop so every time i go there well i want to go and get some cod and chips i love cod do you like cod? You can't get it so much anymore because it's like endangered. Because like I think the French, or no, no, the Norwegians have fished it out of you know. Yeah, the, and a lot of fish. Yeah, the, the north, the North Sea in particular is all these cod wars. It's like you know fishermen having fights in the middle of the North Sea. I'm, yeah. I'm all for that. So it's like it's, yeah, it's, it's it's I like cod. Yeah, definitely didn't expect that answer, but it's a good one. That's it. But thanks for the person who asked that. <laughs> good, good on him. That was my friend Eric Holmes. That's his. <laughs> You just cut my hair today. That's his. That was his question. Looks good. Yeah. Um, well, thanks a lot for coming in thanks and playing so us music. Thanks, Brian. Thank Make you. sure you get your USB. Oh, that's right. And um, yeah, I'm going to play some music for the rest of the show. We've got about 45 minutes left here. We've been in conversation with Regis. This is The Bunker New York on Rebel Radio.
Radio.
Hello, you're listening to The Punker New York here on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasanick. Uh, that last track was T-Dell, Mononome, and I wanted to announce that we have a party this weekend at Market Hotel for those of you in New York uh, with DJ Nobu, Wada Igarashi, Dr. Rubenstein, and Derek Plazleko. Good idea to snag an advance ticket for that one if you want to come. And I was going to end the show with the last 20 minutes here. I'm going to play a couple DJ Nobu tracks and then a couple from the Wada Irashi EP we have coming out on The Bunker next month. So stay tuned for all that. We're here for 20 more minutes. This is The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio.
Hello, you're listening to The Book of New York on Red Bull Radio. Uh, as I said before, these last two tracks were from Wada Igarashi. This one is called Body. The one before was Gravity. Those are both off of his upcoming EP on The Bunker, which is out in June. And before that, a couple tracks off of DJ Nobu's latest EP. You can catch both of them if you're in New York this Saturday at The Bunker at Market Hotel. Tickets for that are online. Um, Pre-sales for the record are also on our website, thebunkerny.com. Thanks a lot for listening. We're going to be in Detroit all next week doing a daily show from 7 to 8 p.m. We've got Turtlebug, Beige, John Beltran, Marcellus Pittman, and Eris Drew all joining us. And uh, the show will be followed by Interdimensional Transmissions every night. So a lot of excitement on the radio next week. Thanks a lot for listening. This has been The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio.